Hey, this is the River Tree Canal Fulton Podcast, and we welcome you to enjoy this sermon from Colossians chapter 1. Our scripture today comes from the book of Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace And peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring up from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we pray that your word would be life to us. And that what you speak, Lord, you would give us courage to then follow after you. Holy Spirit, come open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, unveil our hearts so that we can know you as Lord and follow you faithfully. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks for being with us. Uh, I want to go ahead and dismiss our student ministry. If you're in fifth through eighth grade, you can head with Adam out for our class. We would love for you, even if you're a guest with us, your your student age kids can jump in with that. Uh, So thankful to be together. Uh, So today is kind of a sermon in between series. We're starting our Advent journey, our journey towards the the coming of Jesus next Sunday. But today we uh, have a sermon that we just call Fresh Bread. Now, if you are are new to River Tree or have never heard us use this term before, we talk about it a lot in our discipleship culture. We believe that part of disciple making is uh, that we are people who are in God's word um, and, and, and if you are, especially if you're like a podcaster or you like to go through our website, we did a whole series called Word of Life talking about how the scripture is not just a, a, a set of principles or truths, but instead it is designed to give nourishment and life to the people of God. That we study the scriptures not only because they're true, but because they give us life. They are like bread to the hungry. 
And so in our discipleship culture, we talk about part of being a disciple is you have to eat. You have to eat of God's word. So the, the, the concept of fresh bread is a time where we share something that's been nourishing to us. There's a principle underneath this that we adhere to. And that is when God reveals something through his word that nourishes you, you have to remember that it's never just for you. When God reveals something in his words that is nourishing to you, you have to remember it's never just for you. Uh, there's always enough bread to break and to share in the kingdom of God. And so today, uh, I want to share with you from this passage in Colossians that has been nourishing me and hopefully uh, can be something that is good news to you that maybe um, speaks to you right where you need it. I know uh, I first really, this passage came alive to me. Uh, some of you don't know this, but at 9.15 every Sunday, we have prayer in this room. We come together for 30 minutes. We pray, we listen, we petition, and we come back together and we pray together. And, and oftentimes we are listening and asking the Lord, whether it's a scripture or a word of knowledge or some other way that God would speak, if there's something worth sharing, we share it with each other. And it was in one of those times of prayer where this passage just came alive to me. As I was praying, okay, God, what, do, what does it mean for me as, as pastor of this church to pray for our church? In this season of Multiplies, we're looking at the next year and just asking God to, to help us to bear fruit, that we would be healthy and fruitful disciple makers every day, everywhere. Um, how can I pray for the church? And I came to this because this is Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae. Colossians is a beautiful letter about how beautiful and powerful Jesus is and what it means to live a life worthy of him. And so um, as I come to this passage, I come to it uh, seeing the same thing in Colossae that I see in our church is that the gospel has taken root in our church in a way where there, is, there are these signs of life and what God is doing among our people that are beautiful and wonderful. Paul's hearing about this in Colossae from faithful people who are coming to tell him of this work because Paul's in jail. So Paul has been, he's being persecuted for the faith and he is basically administering letters and encouragement to churches from this place. Uh, and he, he's hearing these stories about what God is doing. And it's awesome because it's like, okay, if Paul is in a position where he's hearing of a good work for a church, what would Paul pray? We have his prayer here in verses nine through 14. So where it says, for this reason, in verse 9, the idea is that Paul is saying, hey, um, I, uh, I've heard what God is doing among you, and this is the reason I'm praying this. The church has embraced the gospel in faith and is living out love for God's people. What Jesus has done is transforming people, which is kind of where we want to be as a church, Right? Like, I, I've been in churches where um, the evidence that you're the church is that there's like a sign out or a steeple. Then I've been in churches where the evidence that you're a church is that there are transformed lives coming in and out of that space every week. The prayer I have for our church is that we are marked not just by signage, but we're marked by the fact that when people encounter us, they're like, something's happening there. <laughs> that there's transformation and change happening. Paul is moved by this. So his, Paul's ongoing prayer for the church is that God would fill them with both the knowledge of God's will and the power to perform it. Their responsiveness to, to the gospel leads, and Paul says, I pray this like, I have not stopped praying this for you. 
that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And he goes on to talk about uh, that not just that they would know God's will, like what God desires, but they would, they would live into it and be able to walk that out. Uh, in our series this summer, we did a series on the Holy Spirit called Wild Goose Chase, and we used the image of a glove. If you weren't here, we talked about how a glove is designed for work, but it can't do the work unless it's filled with a hand. <laughs> like it doesn't matter how often you encourage it or challenge it or preach it, preach to it or yell at it, unless it is filled with a hand, a glove's just gonna sit there. The gloves were designed to be filled in order to work and that we as the people of God were designed to be filled by God, by his presence in order to do the things that God has made us to do. Paul is leaning into this same kind of idea as he prays continuously that the church will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. We are made for faithfulness, but we're designed for a faithfulness that springs from the presence of God being poured into us in God's graciousness. Later in Colossians, uh, he puts it like this, Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so the foundational thing that Paul is praying, and this, you'll see this all the way through, as Paul is praying for the church, he's praying that God would act in a way that fills the church and transforms the church. This is foundational, but this is beautiful because the primary work of the church is to be filled with God. And when we are filled with the life of God and the spirit of God, then a life that is worthy of Jesus overflows naturally from the life of the church. He says here that he, uh, he's praying that being filled with Christ would lead to both revelation and power. Revelation meaning that people would, it would be revealed to them what it is that God desires to know God's will, to know God's plan, but also um, the power, the strengthening to then do that plan. And both of these are given by God to the church. And this is important because if you have revelation, like if you know the plan, but you don't have the power to do the plan, you're just gonna get frustrated, right? I have the roadmap and I see that it's impossible, God. Thanks so much for telling me what to do. And now I'm angry because I feel all of this guilt because what he's asking, I can't do. If I just have revelation and I don't have power, then I'm frustrated. Now, if I have power, but I don't have re revelation, I'm like a, a toddler behind the wheel of a bulldozer, right? <laughs> I've got all this power and I'm gonna do a lot of destruction with it because God doesn't give his strengthening and empowerment without a direction, without a mission to it. God is at work in the world and as he empowers and fills the church, it is to that direction. So Paul's praying for both. And the good news is that God gives both to the church. God gives both the revelation. He reveals what he's up to. Now, sometimes it's step by step. It's not necessarily uh, that we get a grand map that just falls out of the heavens and we're like, okay, well, then I do this, 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 and this. My, lap, my life is perfectly mapped out. Let's go, Jesus. In the Psalms, it says, his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Sometimes you just get enough revelation for that next step, but he makes our steps clear. And then he empowers us by his spirit to do it. Paul asked that God would give that to the church. And then he says, uh, I pray that you would be filled in order that, uh, filled so that, I love that Paul then gives the why to this, like he is not um, simply saying, uh, I want you to be filled. He says, I want you to know the reason and the outcome, like the particular ways that this filling would be applied. 
He says in verse 10, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. A life worthy of the Lord. If you grew up in my generation, you hear the word worthy, you think of Wayne's world. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Wayne and Garth, when in the presence of rock and roll greatness, would fall down on their knees and say what? We're not worthy. We're not worthy. Why? Because greatness, there was this reaction to it that they had where they recognized in the presence of greatness they were nothing. When Paul calls the church to live a life that is worthy of Jesus, he's basically saying, Jesus is great. And I pray that you would be filled so that your life would be filled with the greatness of God that is worthy of Jesus, that bears his name in a way that is even in the slightest way giving glimpses of his beauty and splendor and power and holiness in the world. To live a life worthy of the Lord that pleases him. What's amazing is that Paul's asking that God would give the church what they need to do that. Not just that they would know what pleases God, but that he would empower them and fill them so that they could do it. So that a life that pleases God would not only be possible, but normal for the people of God. And he then offers four particular ways that he uh, sees this being manifest. Bearing fruit, increasing or growing, being strengthened, and giving thanks. I want to talk through each of these as we look at this prayer. First thing that, that we notice is as Paul talks about the church being filled so that they can bear fruit, just before this, he talked about how the gospel was bearing fruit everywhere. It was growing in the world, increasing in the world. So the gospel is described as bearing fruit and growing or increasing. Bearing fruit is what the gospel does, both in the world and in the people of God. So one of the ways that when God fills the church is they become fruit-bearing because the gospel bears fruit. And when the gospel takes root in the soil of your heart and your life, when the good news of what Jesus Christ has done and his dying and his rising and his enthronement and the day that he will come and make all things new, when that captures you and begins to grow in the soil of your heart, one of the things that naturally comes out is fruitfulness. He says, bearing fruit in every good work. So the people of God become the extension of the life and fruitfulness of the good news of Jesus in the places that they're planted. So very particularly, you, your life, when the gospel takes root in your heart, Paul's saying, what I would pray for you is that that would lead to fruitfulness through everything that you do, that you would be good, but that your goodness would be full of the potential of the kingdom bringing life to the world that you're in. So that you, it's like walking around, if you have holes in your pockets and you just put seeds in and everywhere you walk there, seeds would just kind of like fall out of your pockets. The idea is that the gospel will be so fruitful in you that everywhere you go, it's like planted. It's planted in your kindness. It's planted in the way that you serve. It's planted in your generosity. It's planted as you love and make room at your table. It's planted in the ways that we practice the kingdom every day, that your life would bear fruit in good works. This is one of the first ways, particularly, he says, this is what a life worthy of Jesus looks like specifically, is that it bears fruit in every good work. Second, it says the life worthy of the Lord increases in the knowledge of God. Now, this is not just increasing in the factual knowledge of God. Like, 
to be to live a life worthy of Jesus is not to be the best at Bible trivia. And it's okay to be good about, trust me, I want you to know the scriptures, I want you to know um, the word of God and to let it transform you and change you. But here, this idea isn't like, well, to live a life worthy of God means that you know the most. Because some of you, like some of you love knowledge and you're like, but some of you are like, oh, if it's about knowing all the stuff, I'm already like, I'm out, <laughs> can't live a life worthy of Jesus. This is more about the knowledge that you get of, of, through the experience of walking elbow to elbow with Jesus and his power. I was an 80s and 90s kid. And so in our house, we grew up with uh, a life-size cutout of Michael Jordan that looked like this. I don't know if you ever saw one of these or you were blessed to have one in your house. It was awesome. It made it into a lot of family videos in ways my mom did not expect. Uh, but my younger brother, Joe, was obsessed with Michael Jordan. He and Michael Jordan share a birthday. So that meant that he had to be a super fan. So he knew all the facts and all the stats. He tried to imitate all of the, the highlight moves. He, when he played basketball, he let his tongue hang out. You know, like all this stuff. He was trying to be like Mike, right? Um, if he ever bumped into Michael Jordan, the, the, probably the nicest thing that Michael Jordan would say would be, excuse me. Because Joe knew everything about Michael, but Joe didn't know Michael, and Michael didn't know Joe. There's a difference between knowing the facts about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And when Paul is praying that the church would be filled with increasing knowledge of God, he's not just saying, I want you to have good doctrine, good thoughts, know the Bible, although none of those things are evil in and of themselves, trust me. What he's saying is he wants you to know Jesus because you walk with Jesus. That Jesus is not just stats and facts, but Jesus is a friend of you. And what's beautiful about the gospel is we see that Jesus tells his disciples, you're no longer just servants, you're, you're my friend. Like, he makes known to us, again, Paul's prayer, I pray that you would know God's will, that God would reveal that to you. That God says, the sign of his disciples is they are aware of what God is doing and that God reveals himself to his people in scripture and in prayer and in community. In our circumstances, God has a way of revealing to his people what's going on, that a life worthy of Jesus increases in the knowledge of God because we walk elbow to elbow with Jesus, learning in every way what it means to be his. Third, uh, a life worthy of the Lord is being strengthened in all power. Now he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have endurance and patience. So I wanna take the first part. Um, I love that Paul's like, I'm, not, I'm gonna pray that he strengthen you, but not just so that you are the strongest you as possible. I'm actually gonna pray that Jesus gives you Jesus power to live a Jesus-worthy life. I'm gonna pray that God would not pour uh, into you so that you can be optimized, but so that you can become wholly different than anything in the world. This is a really important thing because I think sometimes we, uh, when we think about God strengthening us, we think about God just helping us be the best possible me. Um, which like the best possible me is still really fractured and broken by sin in ways I know and ways I don't. So when God pours his spirit into his people, he doesn't just pour us in just to improve us, just to kind of hack away and give us like little life hacks so we can be the, the best me now. Instead, he calls us to be like Jesus and he gives us Jesus in order to do it. He strengthens us with the power of Jesus because me at my best is, not, is nothing like the power of Jesus unleashed in the world. And you know what my family needs? 
they need me to walk like Jesus does, not just like a better version of Drew. They need me to walk as Jesus would. My neighbors need me to walk as Jesus would, not just like, he's, he was friendly today. Like access to the kingdom of God means that we are being filled with power according to his supply, not according to our own. But again, it's not just strengthened for the sake of being strong. We're not designed to be the toddler behind the wheel of the bulldozer. He says very specifically that he is strengthening, uh, he's giving us a life that is worthy of the Lord. It's, it's being strengthened so that you might have great endurance and patience. Yay. <laughs> it's really been striking me lately how consistent the message to the churches throughout scripture that like you can't escape the call to a life where endurance and patience, or some translations would say long-suffering, is an absolute essential marker of faithfulness. And it shouldn't surprise us on one level. I mean, like Jesus is the centerpiece of our faith. And his life is one that was faithful to the point of death, even death on a cross. Like, to divorce faithfulness from circumstances where we are tested and tried and have to endure and have to suffer. It doesn't make sense if Jesus is our model for what it means to be faithful. Um, I was reminded um, there was an experiment done when, when scientists started creating uh, biodomes to grow things. Uh, I read about an experiment that was done one time where they planted an orchard of trees in a biodome um, to basically see, hey, in a controlled environment, can we, can we do better? Can we grow better fruit? Can we make these things more fruitful and more necessary? Um, and so in the biodome, these trees began to grow and they gave them all the best of the best, the best soil, the best nutrients, had the best people taking care of them and pruning them back and making sure uh, everything was set up for growth. And these trees grew like crazy. And they began to get the first signs of flowers and then fruit but then something started happening that the, they would get, the first part of an apple would start to show up and then it would just fall off. It would just fall to the ground. None of the trees could hold apples. They weren't strong enough. And so they start trying to figure out, you know, like scientists, well, this, here's the data. What are, we, what are we learning from this? And they realized that in their biodome, there was one key part of the life of an apple tree that these trees didn't have access to, and that was wind. That in a controlled environment, there was no wind that was causing these trees to have to grow stronger so that they could bear fruit in the real world. Without the resistance that came through wind, these, it didn't matter how healthy they were, they couldn't endure because they hadn't been tested and strengthened. Um, I know a lot of your stories, and I know um, there's a lot of testimony in this room of God's power as we have endured seasons of life. Uh, my friend Ed Smith, he always says, people make it through hard things all the time without Jesus. It's not miraculous to make it through a hard time without Jesus. What is miraculous is for a hard season to make you more like Jesus. There's a tie between long-suffering and fruitfulness in Scripture 
And it's so evident when Paul prays for the church that they be filled and strengthened so that they would be able to endure and be patient. Because hardship comes to everyone, but there's a particular hardship and faithfulness that can either break us or become the site where fruitfulness becomes a miracle in the world. Paul's praying that the church would be filled and that they would be patient and endure in a way that leads to fruitfulness, that they would be strengthened by God because hardship is something that none of us get to like duck out on. But we do get a say in either letting it run its course or leaning into the promise where God says, I will take all things and, and use it for the good, where we can be a people in our long suffering and patience who can open our hands and say, God, leverage this to grow me and to bear fruit in the world. And Paul prays that we would be that kind of church. Last thing. He says, a life worthy of the Lord joyfully gives thanks to the Father. That praise and thanksgiving are a foundation for the people of God. And it's fitting as we head into Thanksgiving this week for us to talk about this. Uh, how one of the marks of a life that is worthy of Jesus is thanksgiving that we see and know and recognize and name and give glory to the Father for his good, gracious ways. And I love particularly, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. It's not just a general thanksgiving, it's a particular thanksgiving about what God has already done for us through Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever gotten mail before where you've been notified that you've been pre-qualified for something you didn't ask for. You ever been there? Yay, you've been pre-qualified for this or that. I get a home loan or a car or whatever. Being pre-qualified, um, the beautiful thing about it is that all the things that need to be done for me to be qualified, I already have it. And that's a beautiful picture of the gospel, right? That when we look at the cross, we see that everything I need for the inheritance that God has stored away from me, I have it not because of anything I've done or not done, but because what Jesus Christ has already done. That when we come, we come not to earn salvation, but to receive the gift of grace in Jesus Christ that you have been given already everything you need for the journey ahead. The simplest ways you don't have to earn what's coming but you've already been given access to the inheritance that is yours. Uh, and sometimes we hear inheritance in the scriptures and we think eternal life. Like we think on the other side of death or the resurrection of Jesus that my inheritance is secure. And that is absolutely true. But I think it's, it's, it does not include the other part of it. You know, my, my preacher used to always say that we have been given both eternal life and abundant life. And there's no reason that we have to compromise on either of those. Uh, and what's amazing is we have an enemy who, scriptures say, walks around like a roaring lion seeking to devour people who, in John, when Jesus talks about the enemy, he says he's come to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus has come that we would have life and have it to the fullest. There's this reality that we are in as a church that we have been pre-qualified for the inheritance that is ours. Uh, that what he has done already, like what we have in Christ qualifies us 
for the inheritance to come. This is beautiful. This is worth giving thanks for because we see that God is the qualifier of us. God is the filler of us. God is the strengthener of us. God is the life giver to us. That God is all of these things. And we as a church are not lacking in any way for the life that is set up before us. We have been qualified and set up with everything we need for life and godliness, like it says in 2 Peter 1. That everything we need, we have it in Jesus. And yet Paul prays in a way that points out that this is not necessarily an automatic thing. He asks that the church would be filled and be strengthened and bear fruit and increase in the knowledge of God and be thankful. Why? Because just because you've been pre-qualified for a car loan doesn't mean you go out and buy a car, does it? Just because all the provisions there doesn't mean you're necessarily going to take hold of it and walk forward. And Paul wants a church that says, God has provided everything for us in Jesus, and I'm going to lay hold of it and live a life that is worthy of Jesus in this world. And I'm going to ask with Paul that God would fill me so that my life would be worthy of Jesus. And it's not a threat to say that. Like Paul prays for the church. He prays that they would live into what Jesus had already secured for them. And the beautiful thing is, I'm not lacking provision or power. And yet, I still need to go before God, as Paul does, and just pray for myself as I'm part of the church, for you as God's church, that not only we would live a life worthy of Jesus, but particularly that we would lean into what God has already done. That we would lay hold of it in faith and ask that he would fill us, that our lives would be worthy of Jesus. So that's what I'm praying for us. Brian, if you'll come up, we're gonna move into a time of communion. Um, my prayer for our church in this next year I'm actually going to just like pray Paul's prayer for us over and over. I, I'm going to try to pray it every day. That God would fill us with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and understanding in order that we would live a life worthy of Jesus. And again, the good news in this because you hear this on one side of it and you hear, oh man, there's a challenge there for us to be a kind of people that requires a lot. But the good news that Paul's underlying here and what he's crying out for God to do is to continue to fill the church with what he's already secured for them in Christ Jesus. That everything we have, that everything we need to be that church we have because Jesus has pre-qualified us. <laughs> that we stand in Jesus having access to everything we need for the, the moment we're in. And it doesn't mean we don't need to be filled and strengthened and to grow in the knowledge of God and bear fruit, but it does mean that what it takes to do that, we have it in Jesus. And so as we come to the table, we come both in thanksgiving, that Jesus, as the bread and the cup, reminds us, has provided for us everything we need, but we also come asking like Paul asks on behalf of the church, that we are not on cruise control. We are asking the Lord to continue to fill us, 
that our lives would be worthy of Jesus. That we would live a life that pleases him, that testifies of him, that is the proof that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of life. So let's just take a moment and pray. And uh, if you hear all this, and maybe there's a part of you that's, man, Drew, uh, those things that Paul's praying for the church, I, I want you to pray them for me. Pray that I would live a life worthy of Jesus. Pray that I would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Like, I don't know, I don't know what my next steps are. And you pray that the Lord would make that clear. Let's take a moment, let's just go to him together and ask. Maybe you're like, I want to bear fruit. Like, I want to be that fruit tree. If we're going to be an, or- an orchard of a church, then, then I want to bear fruit where I am. I want to be that person who everywhere I walk, there's seeds falling out of my pocket of the kingdom of God. Then ask him for it. Because what you need to be that, you have it because you have Jesus. Maybe you're just like, I, I feel like I've heard a lot about Jesus, but I want to know Jesus. Not like I know facts about Michael Jordan. But I want to know Jesus because I'm walking with him. I want to know his voice. I want to know his power. I want to know his word. Then ask. Let's, let's ask the Lord as we go to the table today. Maybe you're like, you know what? I need to be strengthened because right now I'm going through it. And I don't want to just survive. I want to come out looking more like Jesus, bearing more fruit for Jesus, living a life worthy of Jesus. Or maybe today as we take a moment to be silent, you just need to say, God, I just got to give thanks for what you've done. I just, I just got to, I need to fix my eyes, not on what's missing, but what you have already done because you have qualified me to inherit all the things you've secured for me. And I, that is enough.